When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Deb Flaschenberg. I am your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about trauma-informed yoga. What is that? So years ago, when I started taking and teaching yoga, this was not something that was talked about. Hands-on adjustments were quite plentiful, and I will even say that some of the hands-on adjustments I have received as a yoga practitioner were questionable, even some of the language used. And in years since then, the yoga community has become more aware how we touch people's bodies, how we enter their space, the fact that we should ask permission before touching people's bodies, even the language we use, and even how we sequence and how we approach the practice. And it's exciting to see these changes, not just as a teacher, but as a practitioner with more autonomy and respect for our body. So this podcast episode is about trauma-informed yoga. And I think whether you're a yoga practitioner or a yoga teacher, you're going to find it really interesting and really learning about how trauma-informed yoga plays a role in how our nervous system works through the practice, on how we how we approach the practice. So I think you're going to enjoy that. So to have this conversation, I am speaking with Taylor Ray. She started her yoga journey over 15 years ago, and she now leads two 200-hour yoga teacher trainings, continued education trainings, yoga teacher coaching programs and retreats, and one of her specialties is trauma-informed yoga. So I think you'll enjoy that. Before we get to this really luscious conversation, I just want to remind everybody about our plans as we continue to navigate these waters of opening the studio for in-person classes and still honoring the community that we created online. So our commitment is to support both. So we're starting to fold in more in-person classes, which I have to tell you, as someone who has gotten used to teaching online, being back in the studio with people, seeing bodies, working with people, it has been a true joy. And it reminds me of why I love teaching. I And so I'm just so thrilled that we are now back in person. But we're 100% committed to still offering a live stream class every single day. So I'm still with you on both sides on our Zoom calls and in person. And again, it is my true joy to serve you that way. Speaking of serving, I am continuing our teacher training online for the rest of 2021. And then there's conversations about what's going to happen in 2022. 
I don't know, but (laughs) we're supposed to come back in person in the winter. I'm going to say that's up in the air. I really have to see what I'm comfortable with in traveling and having people travel to me. So that's up in the air. We might flip it to, to back online, but I'm hoping that by the spring, we're in person in our New York studio again for the teacher training. So those that are interested in our 85 hour, very in-depth teacher training, keep an eye on, on our website. That will give you a little more information. Also reminder, I know you can't always make it into the studio for into even the studio or in Zoom for a class every day, but I want you to have a cheat sheet for the days that you're a little achy, maybe your back hurts, maybe it's your hamstrings, and you just need one or two or three poses. I've got you covered for that. So if you go to our website and you can download the five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy aches and pains, that will get you something you can throw up on your refrigerator, keep in your phone, whatever, so that when you're having a little something going on with your body, you can take a few minutes, attend to your needs because your body needs to feel good. It will really help your mind. All right. Then the last thing I want to share is that we started to partner with this amazing company called Boober. Every time I say it, I laugh because I just love that name. So the founder and I have known each other in the birth world for almost 20 years, and now we're working together. So let me tell you a little bit about Boober. They are a place where if you are looking for lactation support, for a birth doula, for a mental health therapist, for a postpartum doula, for some online classes, they can help find that for you. So go to Get boober.com. And with the code PYC, you'll get 10% off their services. And I'm so excited that we're partnering with them. You're going to see them more on our website. You're going to see us working closely together. It's really an exciting partnership for us. Okay. That is enough of me. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Taylor. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, Taylor, how are you? Hi, Deb. I'm doing amazing. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to speak with you. I had the privilege and honor of being on your podcast, and I felt like I got to know you a little bit, but I did all the talking. So now (laughs) I'm really happy to turn it around and hear what you're passionate about, trauma-informed yoga. So this is exciting. Um, I guess before we get into that, will you just tell me a little bit, share a little bit about yourself and then what led you towards trauma-informed yoga? Yeah, awesome. So I am a yoga teacher and I've been teaching for about nine years now, nine and a half, I'd say. And today, really my greatest passion is working directly with yoga teachers. So I run uh, 200-hour yoga teacher trainings along with different continuing ed programs for yoga teachers. So I have a restorative yoga, trauma-informed, I do retreats. I love leading special events. And really what led me to yoga, I'll kind of backtrack a bit now, was it really was my greatest tool in my own recovery from addiction. So I'm about close to like nine and a half years sober. And I found yoga at 15 years old. I'm so grateful I found it so young during a time of really deep depression, of addiction, of really low self-esteem, and just living a really toxic lifestyle. 
So that's, you know, that's like the short version, but yoga was the the practice, the tool that really helped me to learn how to love myself, how to feel, how to work through my trauma that I was carrying that at that point when I was in my teens and early twenties, I went to drugs. So yoga was something that helped me learn how to um, really just be with myself, love myself for who I am and learn a lot about my own trauma. So that was, you know, learning about my trauma through my teens and my, my childhood it all made sense. But there was another point in my life about three and a half, I'd say four years ago that I went through a very traumatic experience where I was battling it. It led me to severe depression. And this is during while I was teaching yoga, mm -hmm. um, PTSD. And over time, I started to have some really like odd medical health issues that doctors weren't able to figure out. And now looking back, I can clearly see that my body was just living in a state of high alert. My nervous system was stuck on high alert and the trauma was starting to manifest itself physically. So I had to dig deep into my own self-care and my own personal healing and almost take a little step back from teaching for a little bit. I was still teaching, but just not as much. And my focus was really on myself at that point. And it also coincided with really understanding more and more. Once I started to lead my 200 hour yoga teacher trainings, I started to, I just had so much time with the students, 200 hours versus an hour uh, a week, maybe with students in public classes. And I started to notice all the patterns and behaviors within every single group and really just realizing, oh my goodness, everyone experiences trauma. And it's, it's truly just a human thing. And I started to want to really just normalize trauma, have conversations. I started to study it more. Um, I've been through a handful of trauma-informed trainings myself over the last nine years. And that's kind of how it all led me to this point. But with that as well, end it here. I, I created my trauma-informed teacher training and I teach all of my, my classes with a trauma-informed lens because, like I said earlier, every single person has experienced some form of trauma in their life. So as a yoga teacher, this really just means that all of our students and clients are showing up to yoga whether they know it or not, with trauma, PTSD, or stress. Oh, definitely the stress. And I like that you recognize that, that yeah, we all have something in our background that lives within ourselves and that we, it's, it can come out in all yes. sorts of ways. And that if we can, as teachers, approach it with that lens. And I have to admit, it is not something I've had a lot of training in. I've picked up pieces here and there, but it definitely seems like something that it should be a found. I'm shooting things about right now, but it yes. should be a foundation because we are dealing with people, especially in yoga, where it can feel vulnerable. And I also oh want to recognize how amazing that you sat with that addiction and had the courage to explore yourself. My husband um, is a therapist and one of his specialists is working with people with addiction. And it seems that the addiction often comes from running away from one's trauma and self and not wanting to feel yes. what they're feeling. And so it just seems so 
brave and I appreciate your openness to feel the discomfort that may lead you to taking drugs, but then be like, okay, I got to deal with this and sit with it. So yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) And I remember too, my very first yoga class at 15, I just remember it was a packed class and I went and I tried it. And at the end I was like, what is this? I feel so good without (laughs) getting high. Like something's here. Cause that was the first time I felt good without getting high. And that's where it was like, okay, something's here in yoga. And obviously that's what I, you know, I continued for up until now. Yeah. It's a big, it's a, it's a big step to change that pattern. The really courageous yeah. step. I totally digress, but I just had to acknowledge that that's a huge yeah, thing you. in my book. <laughs> yeah, so, I appreciate that. <laughs> so let's pull back to the trauma informed yoga. Cause again, as I mentioned, I have little tidbits, but I want to know more. And I think a lot of people it's becoming more popular, probably want to know more. So can you explain what is trauma informed yoga? I feel like everyone says it, but what mm-hmm. does that mean? So one of my trauma-informed yoga teachers always starts here, and I love this. Trauma-informed yoga is really just people-informed yoga. So understanding trauma as a yoga teacher really comes down to understanding, like I said earlier, that everyone is coming to your class carrying some form of trauma in their body and nervous system because everyone has experienced some type of trauma. So really the goal of trauma-informed yoga is to offer tools to help others learn how to self-regulate and to really just normalize all the different ways each person discharges energy or trauma from their nervous system. So the entire goal from trauma-informed yoga is to help people move from dysregulation into Mm self-regulation. So trauma can freeze people in a state of hyper arousal where they are living on high alert or they're stuck on hypo arousal where they're in in shutdown or they're dissociated and just completely disconnected. So trauma-informed yoga invites the students to use the movement, to use mindfulness, the breath, to really just regain a sense of inner awareness, of connection to self, of feeling, of sensations and to help build resilience and feel empowered, it, it comes down to really just helping to build capacity to meet discomfort and challenge. Hmm. I find yeah. that really interesting. One of the, it was a study years ago, um, prenatal yoga, and it actually talked about how prenatal yoga in the last trimester can help people raise their threshold of reaction to discomfort. It kind of sounds mm. like the same thing. Yes, absolutely. Because when you're living in a state of trauma, you're, like I said, in hypo or hyper arousal. So you're on high alert or you're shut down. There's, there's just disconnect from self. So using trauma informed yoga, using yoga and mindfulness just helps to really just bring you back to what am I feeling? Can I sit with this sensation? I I'm safe to sit here right now. So how does this, it seems like this has a lot to do with the nervous system. How does trauma inform yoga balance the nervous system? Yeah. So it's, how do I want to start this here? Okay. So our bodies, minds, and nervous system experience healing within trauma informed yoga 
by really just learning how to balance sensations with resources, which I'll get to what that looks like in a minute here, what a resource looks like. Mm -hmm. It also helps to locate and really just observe the place of well-being. So looking at like if I'm the student in a trauma-informed practice, looking at, okay, what feels good in my body and or what feels neutral? Can I connect to some space inside of myself that just feels okay? It also looks like learning how to sense into discomfort or activation or constriction in the body. That looks like moving back and forth from sensing activation then to sensing a space again that's neutral or feels good even. Um, it helps you to learn coping skills. It helps to empower the practitioner to really just make their own decisions and choose for themselves. That's a huge one right there, which I'll, again, I'll get to a little bit more detail in a little. But the other things that it does to help the nervous system is, and to help the brain is since yoga is a series of bilateral integration. So right and left motions, the movement in yoga helps to build connections from the right brain to the left brain. And then through this, the brain is really just rebuilding broken connections and which can in turn bring memories to the surface to become aware of to then process through and to heal. Mm. Yeah. So it's really powerful how, you know, any really, any practice of yoga can help any kind of movement, gentle or all the way to vinyasa flow or power. And then the one last piece I want to say to this, because this is just so powerful in the yoga community as a whole, but really just, and I know you understand this, being in the yoga community and in a group setting in um, connection to others has also really been shown to decrease trauma symptoms because it's creating this sense of connection to others and a sense of belonging. And, you know, like everyone, every single person needs to feel seen, needs to feel loved, valued, appreciated, worthy. And this can come from someone's yoga teacher giving them that, or maybe another student in the class. Wow, that actually is a lot deeper. When you're talking about the left and right brain, I hadn't even considered that. I thought when you, when I talked about the nervous system, you were going to talk about the breath, which you know is part of the yoga. But yeah. that is so much deeper. So that's how trauma informed can balance a nervous system. But I guess I should also back up and trauma. We're all carrying traumas from something. It doesn't have to be like when I. I feel like sometimes when I say we all carry trauma, people might think like, "Oh, I don't have trauma." It doesn't have to be like a dramatic traumatic, but we all have bumps in the road. Yeah. So how does that trauma affect the body and the brain? How would that yeah. show up in class or in yeah. our life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. And so first I want to just, I think it's understand or it's important to understand first that every single person responds differently to trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's never going to look the same in any student. And trauma is really just the response to an event that overwhelms someone's capacity or ability to cope and respond. And like I said, so no one's going to be reacting the same to trauma. And really trauma is not the event itself. It's the response to the event. Mm -hmm. So two people can experience the same thing and have a completely different outcome. That makes sense. Thank you yeah. for pointing that out. 
Yeah, I, think I, it, I think I misunderstood that too. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing too is it really just comes down to, it affects the nervous system, which goes, which can keep someone stuck in fight, flight, or freeze. So it might look like students showing up with hypervigilance. Like I said earlier, kind of stuck on high alert and just like really antsy and, um, hard to settle down, very fidgety. It can look like completely shut down or dissociated and, um, almost look like they have this like glade, like they're just kind of living in this haze. Um, it can just look like they're, they're timid and shy or they're hunched forward and rounding their back and kind of this protective mechanism. So it really shows up so differently for everyone. That makes sense. So what are some of the principles of trauma-informed yoga? Yeah. So I'd say some of the top principles are what makes it look different and separates it from just a yoga class Mm -hmm. in like a public setting are there's either fewer or no hands-on assists at all. So like touch can be extremely triggering for those who have experienced trauma. Um, Another part would look like the language that the teacher is using. So using more invitational language and offering more options instead of more directional verbal cues. It looks like language that invites more space for self, self-inquiry self and reflection. Um, the sequencing might look different depending on who you're teaching, and that's really going to vary. Uh, the environment might look different, so possibly a different use of music, props, the lighting, the setup of the room. And, for example, if you're teaching a class for veterans, like they're going to always want, they're going to feel safer being able to see where the exit is and to also not have anyone behind them. So that might look like setting up everyone, um, like along the walls and kind of facing the middle, for example, um, other pieces that are principles for trauma-informed yoga is really just offering your students tools to learn how to self-regulate. So self-regulation is really just the ability to slow down enough to connect with our inner experience and to be able to practice being aware of when you're feeling anxious or triggered or shut down or overwhelmed, and then to choose to actually uh, choose something different to try to return back to a grounded state. It's funny. I use some of that. My son has ADHD, so we often work on that, on self-regulation and coming back to a grounded state. As you were yeah. saying that, it just makes me feel like, I know that we talk about, and for a lot of people, yoga is so great for kids in school, but as we see more and more kids having problems with self-regulation, it makes me really aware of how great this would be and from a trauma-informed place. Yes, a hundred percent. And honestly, I feel that every yoga teacher in class should always come from a trauma-informed lens. Yes, I'm seeing that more and more. Yeah, I yeah. want to talk more about the cueing. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the language and cueing from a trauma-informed way. We'll be right back. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. 
It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hanna quality for your most precious gift. Hanna soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. All right, so can you mentioned that as one of the principles, but can you talk a little bit more specifically about language and cueing from that trauma-informed place? You're saying invitation, and that was something that Cindy Lee, when I was studying with her at OM, she always she always was saying, like, you don't say, I want you to. You say, I'd invite you to. And yeah. so I picked that up, but I think that's my only tool, and I don't think she was doing it from an, a trauma-informed place because this was, I know, 15 years ago. We didn't have as much trauma-informed conversation then. Besides the word invite, how else would you be mindful of the language in which you use? Yeah, I love that. So just like you said, in a trauma-informed class, the language, it, it comes down to just really being very invitational with a lot of choices and options. So it's really not as direct as maybe a standard public yoga class where the teacher tells you one way to do something. So using invitational language helps to teach the student that they have the power to follow what feels best for them in that exact moment. And it really just teaches them how to be their own teacher, which in turn helps them to feel empowered and to trust their their decisions that they make. Mm. So someone in trauma uh, might have lost this connection to their own decision-making So that's where when they're in a trauma-informed yoga class, it helps to build that up in them, which is really powerful. So some examples might look like, like an example phrase to remind students of choice. It can look like, feel free to try something. And if that does not work for you, you can try something else. You can always change. You never have to remain stuck. Mm. That's just an example. Um, Another thing is, so I've taken out the word modification out of my teaching completely a few years ago, I'd say maybe five, and I began replacing it with the words options and variations. Mm. So that helps to avoid making any value statements about different variations and simply present the posture as different ways to do the same pose. So that's... I oh, like yeah, that. It's, sorry, it just made me think about props because yeah. I remember when I first started, props were you know, people like, oh, I don't need a prop. A prop is a prop. Like it's, I need to use it, and and I'm better than that. And then I got into Iyengar, where it's like celebrate the props. So yeah. <laughs> they're like, how many props can we use to do shoulder stand? So is there a way in which you can introduce also using props as a tool mm-hmm. instead of? um something because you can't or you need help with? Like, how do you use, do you introduce that in a different way as well? Yeah, I love normalizing props. And in if it was a specific trauma-informed class, yeah, I'm using props all the time. Like they're just part of the practice, not even almost sometimes like instead of offering it as an option, it's like, hey, let's all grab our blocks and now we're going to do this kind of thing. Right. So, and then, um, almost kind of reversing it and saying something like, and if you feel that you don't want to use your blocks, that's okay. Mm. Instead of in a class, a public class where it might be like, if you want to grab your block, go for it. 
kind of thing. Right. And they're like, Oh, I have my hamstrings tight. I have to grab my block as opposed yeah. to we're all doing it. Oh, you know something? My hamstrings feeling great. I don't eat a block today. Yeah. It's a yeah. different angle of the same thing. What yeah. about, I remember uh, the teacher training I just finished, we had somebody that focused a lot on the body part language. So when we were doing some practice teaching, we had one teacher trainee said, okay, spread your legs. And the other person mm. just jumped up. She's like, that is not okay from a trauma-informed place. And the other oh, teacher yeah. trainer was like, ah, I'm so sorry. Um, like, you know, she, she didn't think about that. So do you talk about being mindful of body part language conversation? Absolutely. Um, and again, it's going to, it's going to vary depending on what specific sensitive population you might be teaching. So for example, if you're teaching, um, someone that's in recovery from an eating disorder, you might want to stay away from using words like belly because that can be triggering for them Mm. or thighs and then keeping it a little more broad, like legs or center instead of core or abdomen, things like that as well. Um, what if you don't know, what if you're just teaching a class, just a general class? Yes. And that's where not all, like you can never have a perfectly trauma informed yoga class. It just, it's hard to do that because everyone's so different. You don't know who's showing up. And so when you're teaching a public class, yeah, it's, it's awesome to be as trauma informed as possible And I teach public classes all the time from a trauma-informed lens. So it looks a little more general. It kind of comes back to what we were just talking about with the language and cues and really just creating as safe of of a space as possible, Um, offering more options, uh, more choices, more empowering language. But yeah, I mean, there's times where I'm teaching a public class and I might use the word belly or abdomen, you know, and someone might be in there that's in recovery from an eating disorder. But if I were to go and teach at an, a clinic, then I'd be much more mindful and I would know what to do or not to do. How would you, so the listeners now that might be hearing this and think, oh, wow, I really do want a little more sensitivity. I want that trauma-informed teaching. How would you advise them to talk to the teacher? Would you advise them to say, you know, I'm coming from a place that I would appreciate this language or please don't touch me. Cause I know that touch is a huge deal when we think about, um, trauma informed. And I'm really glad to see that the, the offering of touch with the denial of like, no, please don't touch me is more, uh, regular now. Like it's seen more in classes, it's more accepted, mm-hmm. but how would you open it up for the student to approach the teacher? Or do you think it's the teacher's responsibility more to say, please let me know if anyone needs any special considerations, but then you're kind of then outing the person to be like, that's Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. And I think that it's hard to all, like, it's always, you're going to do as best as you can, but it's hard to be able to be perfect for every single person, I think. So like you said, yeah, touch can be really triggering for some people in trauma. And, but on the contrary, hands-on adjustments and touch can also be really extremely healing and comforting and grounding for those in trauma as well. So it truly can go either way, but I'd say a good, a good way to offer them for students is an option to actually opt in to receive adjustments instead of opting Mm -hmm. out. So looking like maybe in the first posture in a class, if you'd like to receive hands-on assist today, please place one hand over your heart. 
And doing this when everyone's eyes are closed. So no one's looking around and feeling like, should I do it? Should I not? And they're doing what really works for them. I'd say is important. And then another piece is if, if you're able to, as a teacher, get to class and try to check in with each student beforehand and just have a little private chat with each, with each person asking if there's anything that they're aware of that might be uncomfortable or, um, that might trigger them, you know, and just getting to know where they're at. But again, you can't always make it perfectly trauma informed. So if there's something that they say yes to, but you can't necessarily take that out, or it's just kind of hard to actually make that happen, at least acknowledging it and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, let's, let's have a conversation because it might come up during the class and I don't want it to startle you. Oh, I like that. And I really like the opting in instead of opting out. It's yes. kind of like the use of the it's same idea of the use of the props yes. that we're all using it. And then you can, you know, you choose how you want to use it. Oh, I like that. So you yes. also mentioned sequencing, trauma-informed sequencing. Mm-hmm. How does that, that kind of struck me. How, mm-hmm. how does that differ than a typical sequence? Yeah. So Depending, it's all going to come back to this, depending on who you're teaching, if it's a sensitive population or a general public class, the types of postures you teach and the sequencing is really all going to look different. So you can bring in a lot of elements of trauma-informed yoga into your public classes, which is what I do and how I teach all the time in a public setting. Um, But if you teach a sensitive population like sexual assault victims, um, incarcerated individuals, veterans, youth, addiction, eating disorder recovery, each group is truly going to look different from each other in how you teach, the words you use, the postures, the sequencing, the setting, and the space. So, for example, if I'm teaching sexual assault victims, most likely you're going to want to avoid any postures with open hips laying down on your back. For example, like happy baby or tabletop pose or downward dog might be most likely is going to be avoided. We don't want to do it unless you know your students and they feel comfortable. But those postures, of course, they resemble sexual positions and that can be extremely triggering. Unless, like I said, you've been maybe with the same group for a period of time and you know you're you're growing together and they're starting to feel safe. So on the surface, it does look similar to any other yoga class, but one very important difference compared to some styles of yoga is that you also continuously shift from intensity and then back out where it's um, more less of an intense sensation. So you're kind of like, it's called titration. So you're kind of pulsing into intensity and then back out. And this helps students to not stay in an aroused state for too long, but to also help them observe the difference between arousal and intensity and feeling grounded and at ease. It feels like it's back a little bit to that self-regulation. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. This is, yeah, when I was reading about the... um the different sequences. I could not even wrap my mind around what that would mean. Okay. So I get that. Okay. And it can also look like, um, never even laying on the ground. Like the practice might be all standing. Yeah. 
yeah, so that might be completely out. Shavasana might be, you might end your class in a seated pose instead. What about like um, a supported, like a 45 degree soup to bada? Cause you're not flat. It's more like a reclined. Yeah. It depends on who you're teaching. So sometimes the open oh, hip soup to bada, that wouldn't be great. Okay. So I, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's where it all just really differs. So again, if you're teaching in say, um, an addiction recovery center or a prison, you also have to look at, okay, most likely the students that are going to be in class are going to come from different backgrounds of trauma, sexual assault, drugs, eating disorder. So then in those settings, you're kind of taking all the things you know from each sensitive population and combining it. So the mm-hmm. practice literally might look like you're you're standing and you step back into warrior one and then you step back to the top. You might not even forward fold at all. Mm. Things like that. And what what's the for oh the forward folds? Yep. Okay. So that can also be no. triggering for someone from like um domestic violence or sexual assault. Okay, yeah. I was first trying to get my head. I'm like, why yep. the forward fold? I'm like, ah, yeah. now I see it. Okay. Yeah, and also sometimes trying your best to set up the space with no one, no one behind you. Yeah. That this is really interesting and I'm appreciating the different lens um, because I hadn't really, I hadn't thought of that. So when you're teaching though a public class, how, how do you incorporate some of, some of these ideas? Because I'm Mm -hmm. guessing, I'm thinking like trying the idea of taking out, down dog or a forward fold or not have someone behind you? Yeah. In a public setting, if it's not advertised as a trauma-informed class, but you just want to teach with a trauma-informed lens, Mm -hmm. the, the kind of foundational things to focus on is language. Okay. Um, really offering more options and choices to create a really safe, inclusive space, the use of props, normalizing props, um, language and normalizing how everyone and all bodies look different in postures and really inviting your students to choose what feels best for you today. Not because you did it last week or you, you know, you can do it. You did it last year, but what do, what feels best for you right now? Um, and that's just helping people feel safe to explore themselves Right. So I'd say the language comes down to it. Um, sequencing depends on what you're teaching. That can vary. It can look different completely. Offering three, three expressions of the same pose instead of one. That's mm-hmm. important too. And instead of saying something like, if you're a beginner, you can do this. If you're advanced, you can do this. Right. So instead of that saying, explore what variations feels best for you right now. Here's option one. Here's option two. Here's option three. So things like that. This is, I'm excited about this because I see where you're saying that for specific advertised classes that this is for an incarcerated group, this is for an addiction recovery. That's very, that is going to have its own lens of what is appropriate, but then going into a general public class, a different lens. And I feel like, and that's why I'm so excited that you're going to be doing a segment for our teacher training, but having Mm -hmm. a little more of a broader, it's almost like accessible yoga. How can this be accessible for everyone? With the mindfulness that everyone carries trauma, but not having to make it so specific that it's, Uh, yeah, oh, this is making, this is landing. (laughs) And it just really comes down to how safe of a space can you create for all your students? 
hopefully very. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is really interesting. And what I'm excited about is I know a lot of the listeners on the podcast um, are probably pregnant people that probably take yoga, but this can also give them a different lens of feeling safe in their in their space and their yoga, but then also how will they feel safe in their birth and learning to who do they want in the room? What positions are comfortable for them? So mm-hmm. this can actually overlay into that thinking about birth, which is a very, very vulnerable place. Oh, I love how, I love how we tie things together. Yeah. It aligns perfectly. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, if you have one final tip or piece of advice, you'd like to offer yoga teachers, yoga students, anyone. We'll be right back. Okay. We're back. What would you like to throw out there? All right. So I just want to end it with for yoga teachers to really just understand that from the start, no yoga class will be perfectly trauma-informed. So really all you can do is do your best. You can be as mindful and sensitive to those who are in front of you. And really it just comes down to, I think, why we all become yoga teachers is if you teach with kindness, you teach with love, with good intention, and you're authentic, then you're doing perfect. That's all you can do. I like that. That is really helpful. Where can people find your work? So you can find me on Instagram at Taylor underscore Ray Yoga, and that's Ray W-R-A-Y. You can find me, I also have a podcast for yoga teachers, and that's called Yoga Teacher Circle. And it's really good, and I was on it. (laughs) Yeah, go listen to Debs. (laughs) And that's on Apple and Spotify. And then I also have a private Facebook group for yoga teachers called Yoga Teacher Circle. And then my website is taylorrayyoga.com. I have a question about your 200 hour training because yeah. our 85 hour teacher training requires a 200 hour training. And I yeah. many times get people say, I'm an advanced practitioner or I really like yoga, but I want to do prenatal, but I don't have my foundational training. Mm-hmm. And we, if you're going to know, you have to know how, if you're going to modify poses, you have to know the foundation. And so mm-hmm. I want to be able to send people to, I have a couple in New York, but now that everything's online, is your mm. 200 online or is it in person? It is in person. Okay. I did take it online for a little bit in the lockdown and the pandemic, but I, I was playing with taking a full one online, but I just, yeah, in person is just so special to me. So I'm, I'm keeping it there for now. All right. Well, if you end up putting it yep. online, let me yes. know. <laughs> and if any of your listeners live in Phoenix, Arizona. Which I know we actually just had a teacher trainee who did. So yeah. I will put it out there too, yep. <laughs> to the Arizona folks. Go but, um, Taylor. I would like to say that my trauma-informed yoga teacher training is online. Oh, that's good. Yes. That will be, I think it's something that, and it's something I have not done nearly enough of, and I think I should do that having as many tools to support your, the student population, and it comes back to making it accessible and being mindful. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad. So all the, I, they have to be yoga teachers already. Can it be for yoga students? It can be. And I've actually had some therapists go through it to bring in tools to their, with their clients, um, social workers. So not necessarily only yoga teachers. 
All right, listeners, you hear it. You've heard it here. Yes. <laughs> you might see me in your training. I would love that. <laughs> well, thank you, Taylor. I really appreciate right. your time and all your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me on, Deb. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.